How y'all doing? All right. Uh, you can follow along with the sermon uh, in, the out- in the bulletin that you got. There's a little outline there. You can follow along there, or you can get on version, which is a free app for your phone or mobile device, and look us up under live events. You'll see Preston Crest and sermon outline is there as well. I do want to tell you next week we're going to start a new series. I'm very excited about this one called Peacemakers. Obviously part of uh, the call that Jesus has given to us is to be a people of peace who bring the peace of God into different situations as he has brought his peace into our lives. And so we're going to get some theory, we're going to get some theology, we're going to get a lot of practical stuff as well, and our, one of our ministers, Brian Borden, is going to help me with that series, so I'm excited about that, and it's going to be a little different, it's going to be great, uh, so starting next Sunday morning, but today we're going to finish out with our Ask, My, Ask Me Anything series, and the idea we started out was just kind of bringing some of our tough questions to God, and uh, for us that means looking in His Word for the answers for His wisdom for his orientation. So we're going to continue that this morning. And actually, this is a question this morning that I got when I posted weeks ago that we were going to do the series. Uh, Megan, one of our sisters, posted a question for me on Facebook. She said, I've always wondered about this verse that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I was like, that is a good question. We need to do that. So here we are. Last week of the series, we'll do this. And it's a really good question for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, I think a lot of believers in our study of God's Word, have stumbled over that phrase. In Philippians chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we kind of like, what's that all about? And then I think it's a good question because as we really, as we really get into that, I think this morning you're going to find a Holy Spirit principle, a dynamic principle that will help you in your Christian walk in some exciting ways. So I'm excited about this topic this morning, but let's go straight into Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything, this is good, especially for our age that we live in, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you star, you shine like stars in the universe uh, as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So to help us unpack this this morning, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine who had at one point ran into a a supermarket, a grocery store, just to pick up a jug of milk, really quick thing, in and out, five minutes. But when he got out, there was a cop there writing a ticket. And my friend, he doesn't always take things well. And so he kind of started getting bristled up over this. And he said, hey, man, to the cop. He said, hey man, how about giving a guy a break? I was just in, I'm, I'm out really quick. And the policeman just kind of didn't even look up, just kept writing the ticket, 
put it on the windshield. And my friend decided to escalate it a little bit. He called the police officer a moron. This got him a glare from the police officer. And the guy pulls out his pad and starts writing a second ticket. All right? This one for worn tires. My friend, as you can see, not one exactly to de-escalate situations, took it up another notch. Said, I bet when you go to your psychiatrist, she makes you lie face down on the sofa so she doesn't have to look at your ugly face. All right? That brought him ticket number three. And this process went on and on until finally this officer had written five tickets, put them under the windshield, over $600 in fines. And so I was asking my friend, I was like, so, I mean, were you just really angry, really upset about this? And, and, and he said, no, not at all. I mean, my car was parked around the corner. So... Okay, that's a made-up story, by the way, just so you know. The police, the police officers heard this story, and they talked to me this morning. They're like, I don't like that story. It's like, it's a made-up story. But it is a story about assumptions. We often, or I'll, I'll say me, I think a lot of us, though, we kind of, we survey a situation, and we make a snap judgment. We've got it figured out. And sometimes we need to slow it down a little bit and pay attention because there may be a detail or two that we miss that totally changes that situation and how we view it. Um, so here's the phrase that raises some questions for us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, our assumptions tend to fit with a narrative, a script that we've already created in our minds, you know, our faith story, the way we look at God, the way we view the Christian faith, and we tend to fit the data into that script, into that narrative that we've already created. Like, for some Christians, and I, I don't know that this is any of us, I, I mean, I certainly hope that it's not, but for some Christians, the narrative is this. It's like, my relationship with God, my salvation is entirely dependent on me, right? It's entirely dependent on me. It's, it's based on my performance. I got to get stuff right, and I'm saved. If I don't, I'm not saved. And obviously, if that is the way you view your eternal destiny, then that's going to be a little bit scary. And so when Paul talks about working your salvation out with fear and trembling, they're going to read that and go, yeah, it is scary. Thanks, Paul. It's nerve-wracking to work out my salvation uh, because one, you know, my salvation is kind of tenuous and if I mess up, it's all gone. Now, I don't know that any of us see it that way. I hope you don't because there is another way to view this uh, idea of salvation or your standing with God. And I love the way this old hymn puts it. This is the way I see my standing and I hope you see yours. This old hymn says this and you'll, you'll recall these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now, I remember hearing those words and thinking, Jesus' blood and my righteousness. No, 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 no. Jesus' blood and Jesus' righteousness. That's my hope, all right? That's the foundation for my salvation. And if that is the way you view your relationship with God, you're going to be more confident you're going to be more joyful. You're going to be more secure in your relationship with the Father. And obviously, we would all like 
to be less anxious and more joyful. I mean, no one's, no one's ever come up to me and said, Gordon, I need more stress. I need more anxiety in my life. Help me do that. No, no one wants that. But, you know, Paul did say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, okay, let's take a closer look at that. And I know I'm just going to kind of apologize up front because I realize this is kind of kindergarten, first grade level stuff, but we can't pass over this. We've got to look at this carefully or we're going to make some mistakes. So we're going to be very clear on this. So there's a little box there on your sermon outline that goes like this. Simply put, very easy questions. Did Paul say, work on your salvation? No. He did not say, work on your salvation. Did Paul say, work for your salvation? No, that's not what Paul said. What Paul said is, work out your salvation. Okay? Salvation is not something you work for. It is something you work out. Very, very important little detail in this passage. I know you're thinking, what about the fear and trembling part? We'll get there. But we've got to get clear on this first. And we know about working out. Even if you don't have a gym membership, you know what that means. Working out means you go to work out your muscles. I mean, you go to the weight room. You go to spin class. You do your cardio. You do your anaerobic stuff. You work out your muscles. And a precondition to going to the gym and working out is that you have muscles. They may be small. They may be puny. But if you don't have muscles, then you can't do cardio. You can't do weights, right? The idea is you go there to make them stronger, to make them grow. You, you, you want to develop those muscles, right? Um, the Christian life, and this is critical to understand, the Christian life is about working out what God has given you. Working out the salvation that you already have, all right? Uh, it's working out salvation, not working for it, uh, not working on it. Uh, and that's because we know this, Christianity 101, our salvation is a gift that we receive. It is not a salary that we earn. Amen? Right? It's a gift that we receive. Um, so working out your salvation is about growing into that gift. Growing into the hope that he's given me. Growing into the forgiveness that he's given me. Uh, growing into the calling, the purpose that he has given me. Um, look, you can... And this would be really cool if you have the financial means to do this. But, I mean, you could give your 13-year-old uh, son a really cool birthday present, like one of these really nice drones, okay? Those are cool, man. They're like a $1,200 drone. Here it is. And you know, and I suspect your son would know this as well, um, opening it up and holding it is not the end. It's the beginning. Wow, Dad! Thank you for this drone. This is exactly what I wanted. This is amazing. It's the beginning. Now, there's a little fear and trembling in the beginning because I sure don't want to crash this thing the first time I fly it. So probably going to read the owner's manual. No, not if they're 13. They're going to watch some YouTube videos on how to fly a drone. And, but there's going to be, you know, it's kind of anxious because they want to they learn how to fly. They want to learn how to make this thing soar. They want to learn how to take those high-def pictures with a little camera mounted on the drone. Um, you could set apart your wedding dress for your six-year-old daughter and say, this is yours. You know, someday when you walk down the aisle, I want for you to wear this dress. Now, obviously, you're going to need to, over the years, grow up into this dress. Probably going to need to find, you know, Prince Charming. But at some point, now, now the thing is, is that gift theirs? Yes. 
but she needs to grow up into that. Uh, you could receive a bag. I like this. I was thinking this week. How would I describe this? You could receive a bag with $10 million bills in that bag. And that would be so exciting and so fun. And it's yours. Uh, but, the, but the real question is, okay, now what? I mean, am I going to invest in a startup or two? Am I going to put this in mutual funds? Am I going to give this to Preston Crest? That would be a great idea, by the way. Am I going to give this to Preston? Um, am I going to take the money out of the bag and put a little glue on it and use it to wallpaper the living room? That would be a bad idea, right? I mean, there are great ways to work out that gift and not so great ways to work out that gift. And Paul is saying, you've got the gift. It's yours. God gave it to you. Don't doubt that, but now work it out. Make it count. Live in that. Spend that. Invest that gift that you have, right? Um, your job is not to waste the treasure that God has invested in you. I like the story I read recently. She's an elderly Argentinian woman named Eva Paol. She was a maid down in Argentina, and she finds out, well, let me tell the rest of the story. So there's this guy named Hufino Utero, who is this wealthy business mogul who she did not know. Well, he passes away. She finds out, true story, she finds out she is his long-lost daughter, right? And she finds out that she has an inheritance of $40 million, how cool was that for her to all of a sudden have $40 million? And honestly, as it turns out, that is not so far from our situation at all. In fact, Paul is going to talk about us as children of God and heirs to a heavenly fortune and co-heirs with Jesus. Listen to what he says here in Romans 8, 16 and 17. He said, we, we are children of God. Amen. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Just let that sink in a little bit. We are children of God. We're not slaves of God. We're children of God. And we are heirs of his heavenly fortune together with Jesus. And write this down. There, there's a place to write this down on your outline. I am an heir of God. I am an heir of God. Now, would you say that with me? I am an heir of God. Say that with me. I am an heir of God. That is true of you. For the Bible tells me so. I'm an heir of God. And if you understand, even a little bit, the extent of the inheritance that we are talking about, any notion of what this means for you, then you will proceed with fear and trembling. Believe me, you'll do that. Uh, joy, absolutely. Celebration, yes. Hope, how could you not have a hope-infused life knowing you're God's child and you've got this heavenly inheritance? Um, but fear and trembling, yes, they accompany so great an inheritance. It merely shows that you appreciate what you have received. It merely shows that you have a true reckoning of the fortune that God has given you. Fear and trembling like, wow, Lord, this is unbelievable. 
You've given me this fortune of, of freedom and forgiveness, the gift of your spirit, eternal life. I don't want to wallpaper my house with this, right? I don't want to use this to line the bottom of the hamster cage or to put in the fireplace to use as kindling to start a fire. I want to invest this wisely. I want to make this count. Nothing new here, by the way. Prophet Isaiah, centuries before, for centuries, God has connected this, this extent of this fortune, this salvation, this inheritance, and the fear that goes with it, okay, naturally. Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 33, 6. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I think the message translates this as the fear of the Lord is the key that unlocks this treasure. So the fear of the Lord, this fear is, is the key to this treasure. What treasure? Salvation, wisdom, knowledge, a key that unlocks the wealth that you have received by God's grace. Now, this phrase, fear and trembling, it kind of causes us to stumble because of the way we usually, we people usually think about fear, right? I mean, we tend to fear all sorts of stuff. You probably heard the Bible has so many do not fears. It's got a do not fear for every day of the year. There's a bunch of do not fears in the Bible. But we fear the wrong sorts of things. We, we're, we get afraid. We get anxious. We get worried about things that will... Well, it won't possibly be an issue in, in 10 years or 15 years or 100 years. I mean, what are we afraid about today that's even going to matter? And your car payment? Trust me, your car, none of our cars are going to be around in 100 years. Probably not in 30 years. Okay? So we fear the wrong sorts of things. We fear temporal things. And Jesus says what we really need to be concerned about, what we really need to give weight to are the eternal things. Okay? Uh, we fear about, you know, or we worry about, will I get a promotion at work? Uh, we worry about, will my daughter get into UT? Or better, into OU, right? I mean, sorry. <laughs> but write this down in your outline. And, and this is not a scientific calculation. This is just me. But I think it's something like this. Something like 99, this is on your outline, 99.9% of what we worry about here won't matter at all in a hundred years. Salvation, it will. It will. It's an everlasting life issue. It is an eternal concern. Jesus is going to tell us, don't fear who can take your body away. Fear who can take your soul. You know, he's talking about God. He says, fear God. Um, and the weight of this in, in the life of believers, even in the early church, the earliest days of the church, you see this at play, how this joy and this exuberance and this fear go together. I love how Luke, he tells a story in Acts chapter 9 about the general kind of state of affairs, the attitude, how are things going for the early church in, in a certain region of the world, Galilee, Samaria, Judea. Listen to what he says here in Acts 9 verse 31. He says, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened. It was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in what? Living in the fear of the Lord. It's interesting to me. They were living in fear. Oh, no, Luke. 
What horrific things are going on here in the life of the church? No, 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 no. Things are great. Time of peace, strengthening, encouragement. Church was growing. It's great stuff. Actually, everything was going well at this point. It's just the believers, they had this fear. They had this reverent awe for how God had delivered them from hell, how Jesus had saved them, how the Holy Spirit was living in them. And my guess is... If you got a surprise inheritance, right? I mean, if somebody walked up to you this morning and said, here is your inheritance, it's a check, $40 million, just like Eva Pale, $40 million. My guess is, if you truly understood that, if you truly appreciated that, my guess is your hand would be trembling a little bit. Oh my, probably sweating a little bit, right? Because you understand, wow, what a fortune I have received and a fortune I really didn't deserve. Your fear and trembling would just show you have a notion of what you have received. Okay, I think we got that down. So in Christ, we have received a fortune. We're not talking about cash or property. We're talking about something far, far greater, something that will be around in 100 years, will be around in 1,000 years, in 10,000 years. We have received eternal salvation because of Jesus. And this inheritance from Almighty God. So with fear and trembling, we hold on to that amazing gift. And we work that out in our lives. Now, here's where it really gets cool. Um, We get this inheritance from God. Not only do we receive that, but Paul is going to tell us God himself is going to help us. It's not like he just hands over the check and says, on your own, bud. He's going to help us work this out. And normally, okay, I think we know this, but normally when you talk about an inheritance, you think of somebody dying. And of course, Jesus died on the cross, and that's part of this story. But you think, mom and dad, they're gone, so now I've got this inheritance. So it's really sad, but I've got this inheritance. In this case, your God is alive. Amen? Our God is alive, and he's very clearly telling us, I'm with you, and I'm going to help you out every step of the way. I am not leaving you as spiritual orphans. It's not like, I, God, did my part. Now you're on your own. No. I am going to father you if you will connect with me. If you will allow me, I'm going to father you as you work out this salvation by grace. So there, right there, in Philippians chapter 2, check this out. Right after that phrase, fear and trembling, the very next words, here goes, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Right after fear and trembling, it is God who works where? In you. Mm. You didn't save yourself, did you? Jesus saved you. And it's not up to you entirely. Obviously, this is a partnership. You have a role to play here. Not up to you entirely to work this salvation out. I mean, Paul says God's going to help you. And he lives in you. He's going to help you to will. He's going to help those desires. Uh, those in, he's going to help all of that to be shaped in the image of Christ. And he's going to help you to act. He's going to help you even on the behavioral side of things. Now, I've heard this phrase before. I like this phrase. I think it's helpful. A phrase, practical atheist. I don't know if you've heard that before. But it's a phrase, practical atheist, to describe the Christian who 
they believe the right things, they, they read their Bible, they go to church, they sing the songs, they pray prayers, but essentially they believe that it is entirely up to them. They are spiritual orphans. They're alone in the world. God did his... Now it's entirely up to me, and that is practical atheism. Why? Because I believe in God theoretically, but I don't believe God actually does anything. I, don't, I believe God has kind of done Godding at this point. He's not going to work on my behalf, and that is practical atheism. If you live and act and speak as if everything is up to you, that's, that's essentially practical atheism. But God is alive. You're not a spiritual orphan. He is at work in your life, and your part in this, like I said, you've got a part in this, your part in this is to offer yourself every day as a living sacrifice. When you wake up in the morning and throughout your day, put your money and your time and your words and your, the way you interact with people, put that on the altar. Consecrate that to God every day. Say, my life, God, is yours. I belong to you. And, and I see this. You can essentially live out the Christian life in one of two ways. You can live it out by willpower or you can live it out by still power. We'll talk about that in a second. But willpower, we know, right? Willpower is things aren't going well. I just need to do better. I just need to, two words, I need to try harder. And sometimes people do need to try a little bit harder, right? But some people see this. It is entirely up to them. It is by willpower that I will work out my salvation. But check this out. That's an exhausting, that's a frustrating approach to Christian life. Write this down on your outline. God calls us to a life not driven by our own willpower, but by still power, by the daily choice to connect, to fellowship with God, to walk with the one who gave his life for us, who rose for us, and who has given us his spirit who lives in us to help. And so sometimes, instead of just trying harder, I need to just get quiet. And I need to connect with the God who saved me and who, whose spirit lives in me. Right? Trying to... I was thinking, how would I portray this? How, what, what kind of analogy would I use here? And I thought about this one. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But I thought about trying to live out your Christian life without God's daily help would be a little bit like never fueling up your car. You've got a beautiful car. You just don't believe in putting gas in it. No, I got this. It's up to me. So load up the kids for soccer practice. Honey, you sit in the driver's seat so you can steer. I'll be pushing us to soccer practice. Let's go to McDonald's. Okay, everybody in. I'm going to push us to McDonald's. Let's go to Six Flags. Push the car. To th- Let's go to Grandma's house. It would be like that, really. Crazy. God never meant for you to live the Christian life that way as if it were entirely up to you to make it happen. Don't live as a practical atheist, believing in the right things, saying the right things, trying to do the right things, but doing it on your own. Let the Spirit fuel you. Let Christ lead you. And let the church, let your brothers and sisters help you along the way. That's the way this is designed to work. So how about you? (laughs) Are you trying to live following Jesus by willpower? 
Or are you connecting with God and his power through still power? And maybe you need to make that shift and say, God, I need your help. I need the spirit who lives in me to help me to will and to act according to your good purpose. Please, Lord, I can't do this on my own. How many times do I have to learn this lesson? I need your help. Or maybe this morning you're ready to cross that line of faith and say yes to Jesus, the one who did die for you and who did rise from, the death, from death for you. And to trust in him, to lean on him, and to say, I want you to be the Lord of my life, of everything I am, of everything that I have. And you can be baptized, immersed into the death, burial, and resurrection today and begin living your life as a co-heir of Christ. Forgiven. Heir to the King. Child of God. Maybe you just need prayers. We'd love to help you with that as well. However you need to respond, let's be standing and let's worship together.